Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Welcome to our special Monday edition. Uh, I hope you had a good weekend. Before we get started, we're back live this Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern uh, with another showrunner Q&A. So join the conversation with showrunner of No Good Nick on Netflix, uh, writer on The Simpsons and screenwriter of Kindergarten Cop 2, American Pie 2, and Puss in Boots, David Steinberg. Uh, that's this Saturday, August 14th at 11 a.m. to Eastern. Uh, now on to our guest today. We're very, very fortunate to have on the podcast uh, a former TV exec at Spelling Television, where she covered hit shows such as Beverly Hills 90210, Melrose Place, and Charmed, uh, and was later promoted to VP of Current Programming at CBS Paramount, where she was involved with series such as NCIS, uh, Medium, Numbers, Girlfriends, 4400, among others. She's been the writing instructor at NBC's fellowship program, Writers on the Verge, for the past 13 years. She's the author of three books and the founder of Jen Grisanti Consultancy, where she has worked and helped, worked with and helped over 150 talented writers land their first staffing jobs and, and helped sell nearly 100 pilots. She's the amazing Jen Grisanti. Thank you for coming on, Jen. Ah, uh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. It was quite uh, an introduction. Um, you have uh, <laughs> so you. much on your resume, uh, <laughs> which is great for us because it's such a wealth of information for us to draw from. So we appreciate you coming on today. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. I've been around a long time. That's why. <laughs> you have, which is what we were talking about earlier. You are, I've been around a long time. I've been around doing the podcast Scripts and Scraps since 2012, which feels like a long time. But yes. you were doing StoryWise back in 2009, so you're like one of the true originators of the sort of screenwriting podcast uh, genre, I guess, if you want to call it that. So that's pretty amazing. I loved it. I, I loved the idea of like when I was a TV executive, we got an inside glimpse of the mind of the writer. And I love how the podcast is making that inside glimpse available to everyone. So so that's how people learn, and that's great. Yeah, no, I mean, whole, uh, yeah, a whole group of 150 that you know of writers have been staffed at working with you on your consultancy, and an untold number of them probably have been influenced by your podcast. So that's great to have you on. It's always interesting to me to hear from writers who I approach, hey, would you like to be on the show? Because you know, they're on, they're staffed or they're running a show or something. And they're like, oh yeah, I used to listen to your podcast when I was starting out. And so it's, it's always nice to hear stuff like that. So for you, it, must oh, be it, amazing. it is, yeah. it is. I mean, information is power. Mm -hmm. When you give people information and tools, then it gives them a way to get to the dream, which is what it, we're all in this for. So that's great. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I just want to say, if anyone in the live stream, now that people are starting to come in, if you have questions for Jen, please drop them in the chat, in the live chat, and we'll answer them as soon as we can. But before we start answering questions, I do have some questions for Jen. Uh, we always start off our interviews uh, with a new guest on your background. You have a incredible wealth of experience in the industry, um, especially in television development and working with, with writers. How did you get your start working in, in the entertainment industry? Uh, so my first job that, that was significant, I did a bunch of internships after graduating from USC, where I studied communications right and cinema. Thank you. Oh, good. I love it. Uh, then I went to a Friedman agency, which is a job placement mm -hmm. agency in the entertainment business. 
And I did internships first, built my resume, then landed my job at Spelling Television uh, when I was 24 years old. And that was the key to everything that happened in my career. So, so then I went there, I focused on the idea of what did I want to do, which mm -hmm. obviously when you're coming out of school, you're not totally clear on. And being in the spelling office was kind of like my master's program of trying to figure out what it was that appealed to me the most. And that's when story became my uh, love and obsession. And uh, the idea of working with writers and the idea of the development creative process. Uh, so that led me to be an executive in current programming at Spelling Television. I eventually ran current programming. Then I went to CBS Paramount, was VP of current programs for the shows that you mentioned. And uh, yeah, it all started from going to a job placement company that placed me in the job that paved uh, my career with Aaron Spelling being my mentor for 12 years. No, that's great. And yeah. actually speaking of the Friedman Agency, I got started there as well. And they placed oh, me at I CAA. Yeah. And oh, they placed me that. at CAA though. So, but yeah, interesting. That, and how long were you at CAA? Uh, about a year and a half. Um, great. With CAA. That was great. Perfect yeah. foundation. Yeah. yeah. They make you spend, they, they make you, uh, commit to yes. stay for a minimum of a year although some people That's don't great. make it that far uh, i know <laughs> it's, a, it's a rough environment but yeah it's, it's a great training ground if you're able to do it as a writer you meet so many people um, good and learn that, so much about that's the fantastic uh, now, a lot of people know you either from your podcast, which you don't do currently, uh, your consultancy, which we'll get into as well, but from Writers on the Verge. Um, the, yes. The NBC Fellowship, which is a training ground, I should sort of, breeding ground, training ground, I don't know what you would call it, an incubator for yes. uh, uh, newer talent to sort of, who need that final push, that, yes. that, that, into you know to break into the writer's room um for those who may have applied and not gotten in yet or <clears throat> are considering applying can you talk a little bit about the fellowships writers on the verge uh, i guess you would know more so than than ours we've also had on carol kirshner talking about the cbs oh yeah writing fellowship. oh yeah um, but like Writers on the Verge, what is the program about? What is the mission for the program? Yes. And what do, do writers learn if they can get into the program? Great. Well, first of all, I love and adore Carol. I was yeah. a mentor in the CBS program when I was an executive. Oh. And I've also taught a class at the ABC program. Oh, so, wow. um, so it's like being familiar with all the different formats of how uh, the different programs are preparing writers mm -hmm. of... Uh, how to have a writing career and how to create longevity in that writing career. So with Writers on the Verge, our process was that we'd get anywhere from 2,600 to 3,000 scripts. Uh, they would have readers go through those scripts. Then when it got down to like the top 20 to 30 scripts, they send them to me. And then uh, we, I would read through all of them and just based on the writing, we would connect and figure out who were the top writers. They would have more information as far as they went through the interviews with them. Uh, so, and then eight people would be selected uh, or if 
if there's a writing partner, then it would be nine or, or 10, depending on how many partners we pick. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they're in a 12 week uh, program that's like a boot camp that is designed, uh, you know, oh, after doing it for 13 years, like when I started, mm -hmm. We had them write a TV spec and a TV pilot in the the oh. 10 to 12 week training period. Mm -hmm. And then that evolved and we began to recognize that uh, no one was reading TV specs anymore. So why were we having them write a spec to get into the program and then write another spec when so few people were reading specs? So halfway through, I'd say, that caused us to change to writing pilots or it might even be like the last three or four years. And, and so now what it is, is you get into the program, the first class, uh, I would teach the writing part of it. And for the first class, we'd have them pitch anywhere um, from three to six pilot concepts. Hmm. So that's good for writers to know, like they think, oh, I write a pilot and I get into the program and then I have it made. Right. It's like, no, then it begins. And so you have, so they would pitch three to six pilot ideas and then we would select the two strongest as a group. Mm. Um, so we ran writers on the verge, very much like a writer's room. Uh, and uh, we would decide as a group, what were the two strongest concepts? Then they would write, two outlines for those concepts. And then we would decide which of the two was the strongest. Uh, and then they would follow that through uh, every different level from outline to first to second to third to fourth draft of the script. And then we'd have read-throughs where professional actors would come in oh, wow. and read their scripts. Yeah, so, so I mean, and like literally, at NBC, the the talent uh, division cast uh, these scripts like they were real pilots. So oh, wow. we got, yeah, we, we got to give all of the writers this tremendous insight of mm. knowing what it was to have their words read uh, by actors and, and see what it looks like. And, and that was an extremely valuable part of the process. So the writing portion is everything that I was involved with. Mm -hmm. Then there's another night in the program that goes toward the idea of the business side of being a working writers, where they would get set up with executives, they would get mentors, they would have speed dating with executives and showrunners to get an idea of what does it look like to get staffed and, and to go on from there. Right. The the beginning portion when you're developing ideas and, you know, they're pitching different ideas. And that sounds very much like uh, when a, a, an emerging writer gets a representation. You know, yes. when you, you have to have that one great script, but you have to have a, num a myriad of ideas. And then you work with your your manager, your lit rep or your agent to, de to pick yes. one that they think is most commercial or the most sellable or most actionable. And you develop that. Um, yeah. So no, that's... that is very that is very true. That yeah. is very true. The difference is that in Writers on the Verge, mm -hmm. you have the built-in writers room, sure. so you immediately have feedback right. from a large number of people. So there, that that is what sets the writing programs apart yeah. as far as the training that they offer. Right. Whereas 
you know, part of the mission and the goal is I would say half the writers that we selected often had agents and or managers. Mm -hmm. um, but part of the mission of the program was to get them represented right. and start them working. Yeah. And uh, all the relationships they build at, you know, NBC on yeah. the different shows, the executives and all that kind of stuff. And, and all the meetings that they take, the whether it's a mock meeting or whatever, like you said, the speed dating, that's all stuff that you're not going to get, uh, you know, with a lit rep per se. So that's, exactly. that's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really fantastic. But it's preparing them. For oh, that. sure. Because Absolutely. when they get the agent or manager, if they have the agent or manager, mm -hmm. then they're going to learn uh, more skills of how to succeed in a meeting and how to be confident about mm -hmm. what they have on the page so that they can tell and sell their story. Right. What yeah. are some of the things that you found to be, I don't want to say a constant problem for newer writers or a regular problem, but maybe something that a lot you found a lot of newer writers in the program having? Was it you know, specific to uh, writing? Per, per, perhaps like the speed at which they need to develop material or, you know, go from, uh, I know a lot of writers don't like to, to outline. They don't like to do treatments. Yeah. They don't like to do those kinds yeah. of things. Was that more of a problem or a lot of, did they have, was that not as much of a problem because you filtered them out through their writing ability? And so maybe a lot of people have problems with the face-to-face -face meetings because a lot of writers are sort of introverts. They're not necessarily salespeople. What do you, did you see as the most, maybe I'll frame it differently. What was the most helpful part uh, on a general basis? Obviously, everyone's different that you found seemed to help a lot of writers frequently that entered the program. Well, I would say writers had all kinds of strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. when they entered the program. And and our job was to find the strength, focus on the strength, and and help them believe uh, on the weaknesses mm. that, that they needed to strengthen. So I, I would say the emotional work that's done in the program as well, as far as uh, working with the writer on helping them see how strong their writing is because everybody is their worst critic. I would say structure is definitely an oh. area that newer writers struggle with, but they their voice often can trump structure and get them in the programs. And the great thing is, is you can teach structure very mm -hmm. easily. Uh, whereas voice is, I, I I believe you can teach voice. I believe that you can teach someone about emotional truth and how to mine their well and how to be ex accessible to their story uh, as a way to help them understand the emotional truth of their central character. Hmm. Uh, so I would say structure was one. I would say another was exactly as you're saying, uh, are they strong in the room? Like many writers can be very, very strong on the page, but can fall short. Now, obviously to get into the writing programs, you have to go through a number of interviews. Mm -hmm. So you are very capable in the room, but uh, understanding that to be a working writer, you have to not only be, you have to be incredibly strong on the page, but you also have to be the full package you you have to have confidence you have to have belief you have 
to uh, be open. You have to know that every meeting you're going into, if you're not having a great day, to to put a mask on and per, and make the meeting the best that it can be, and then worry about everything else after. So I think it's it is recognizing too um, for writers understanding again, like where are your strengths? What are your marketing points? Mm -hmm. and and how do you communicate those marketing points and and uh move through the parts of the writing that maybe aren't so strong and and strengthen them during the program which they mm -hmm. do yeah and i notice a lot of writers <clears throat> are confident about their writing uh whether or not they are or at that point in their career most writers right. at least feel like they're confident <laughs> with their writing um right but even the ones that are confident about their writing and justifiably so oftentimes have a problem with their own brand, their own image, defining what that is. Yes. Do you have any advice for those writers out there trying to find that, like you would mention, like a, a selling point? What What is it about them that makes them unique and they're the ones that can tell, the only one that can tell this specific story? Or um, what advice do you have for yeah. those writers trying to find what that is? So when I was staffing, I staffed mm -hmm. up to 15 primetime shows wow. and I would have 300 scripts every staffing season mm -hmm. that I'd have to narrow down to the top 25 to send to my showrunners to get them to staff. And, and what I would be looking for would be a writer who I felt their story on the page through the narrative of the central character. So when I would have my writer meetings, I would see what kind of emotional truth came out in those meetings. And uh, based on what that emotional truth was, as far as what has happened in their lives, then I would would link that with what are they writing about? Mm. And, and is the message coming through in a way that only this writer can write this because of what their life experience is. Mm -hmm. So, so, and, and I, emotional truth is everything. So when there are 300 scripts behind an executive, you, the deeper you give us a glimpse inside the pivotal points in your story, the higher you rise on the stack. Mm. And so, so writers have to recognize, you know, I know so many writers who are intimidated and fearful over the idea of, well, it's not my autobiographical story. Well, it's not, you know, well, then you have to figure out if you're not writing from an autobiographical truth, which, which the preference is, is that you're writing from an emotional truth. And the difference is, is that autobiographical is real life and writers get stuck with, well, that didn't happen. Mm. Well, that didn't mm. happen. Well, that didn't happen. But for television structure is such that it does have to happen in a certain way for us to emotionally feel the story. So you have to add fiction to that autobiographical truth, or you have to look at the theme and just draw from your emotional truth as far as the situation may, may be totally different than mm -hmm. what you've gone through. But the emotion is the same. 
And you can sell that emotion because you've been through that emotion and you know how to process that emotion. And then when you put it on the page, then we feel that in the character journey. Mm -hmm. And that that is mm -hmm. everything that writers need to do mm -hmm. to to get staff to sell pilots is is dig deep to those pivotal emotional moments in their life that only they can tell right and give us a glimpse inside mm -hmm. now we've had a lot of showrunners on talking about things that they look for and uh, red flags of when writers come in <clears throat> Now, from the executive side, because there's obviously two sides to one, you know, in terms of getting staffed, you have to woo both and impress both sides, the executive uh, covering yes. the show and as well as the showrunner. It's not usually a one mm -hmm. or the other kind of thing. So what are some red flags you see or you've seen when a writer comes in? Obviously, if you're meeting with them, you like their writing. Uh, yes. Otherwise, you wouldn't take the time to meet with them. Very true. Uh, but Very what true. are some red flags that writers should look out for when they're meeting with an executive? Perhaps they've already impressed the showrunner. Things that you would advise that they pay attention to uh, when they're meeting with an executive at a, ne a network or a studio. They'll always know. Now, it's interesting how you say if they've already impressed a showrunner. So if you've already impressed a showrunner versus you're taking the executive meeting sure. to get the executive on board. Right, which could, it could go have, both ways. It could. Absolutely. But it could go, usually it goes executive first, then showrunner. But sometimes yeah. it will go showrunner first where they'll send it to the current programming executive and sure. say, hey, I have this writer that mm -hmm. I'm interested in. Could you sit down with them? Right. So the writer should take the attitude that, yes, they've won the showrunner over, but now they need to win the executive mm -hmm. over. Now they need to make the relationship with the executive so that the executive is also wanting them to be staffed. So, so I think the red flags going into these meetings are you have to be very clear when you go into a meeting. I always tell writers, think of your three top marketing points going into a meeting that you don't want to leave the meeting not having figured out a way to authentically reveal what those are. Mm. And, and when you focus just on three things, then it helps you so that you're not forgetting all over the place. And I find that when writers ramble into one story too long that isn't serving the point of what needs to be covered during that meeting, then they miss the opportunity hmm. because the time runs out of the meeting and they spent too much time. And then I think another thing that is great for writers to do in the meeting process is first of all, as you mentioned, recognize we read the script, so therefore you're meeting with the executive because they like your writing. Mm -hmm. So walk in there confident, walk in there with belief that this person is on your side and wants this meeting to work as much as you want the meeting to work. Mm -hmm. And and if you feel, because executives have a thousand things going on, so if you feel that like you're losing the attention of the executive or the executive producer who also has a bazillion things going on, then ask questions. I think so many people are afraid. I always tell writers, you have to recognize 
you are an equal partner in whether that meeting is going to be a strong meeting or not. And so if you feel that you're losing the attention of someone because they're distracted, ask them a question. Why do you do what you do? What do you love about what you do? What's your favorite show? Also be prepared to to know what shows the executive is covering. And if you have an opinion on the show, which ideally should be positive, Mm -hmm. then share that opinion. Then say, why do you love this show so much? So that the executive can see that you do your homework, which is another huge thing. I think another huge red flag is when a writer comes in and has not done the preparation oh. and the and doesn't know the shows that the executive covers, doesn't know their selling points, doesn't bring those up. That, you know, that is another thing because every meeting is an opportunity for someone to know you. And so it recognize what stories you tell should be the type of stories that equate to the outcome you want. Mm-hmm. So if you know, if, for example, I always remember Glenn Mazzara mentioned early on at one of my uh, live events, he met, which I love that he admitted this, but he mentioned early on that he had been up for a job on ER and he was so focused on every on getting everything in that he forgot to mention that he was uh he worked in a hospital in in an administrative level for 13 years wow so so see that's fascinating Mm -hmm. like and and that happens all the time so i think it is important uh and you know glenn is beloved by all writers because of his emotional truth and his connection to wanting to tell writers what to be aware of to do and not to do. So so I think when you're focused on what are my three marketing points and you know what outcome you want and you know what show you might be being considered for, mm-hmm. then be prepared. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's good advice. If, if Glenn had only uh, had uh, gotten in the NBC program or learned from you before he had taken that, <laughs> <laughs> then maybe he would be much further along in his career, even though he's he obviously I, a, t- a tremendous showrunner. Yes, he has done very well for mm-hmm, himself. Yeah. But you, I mean, we are all learning. Like sure. everybody yeah. is learning through the creative process. Right. Everybody's learning what works, what doesn't work. No one knows until things happen. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I do have some more questions on TV development as well as yes. uh, your consultancy and a lot of other things. But we do have a question here that I wanted to get to. Farzin Farzam asked, a uh, question for Jen. How would you compare studio fellowships versus labs such as Sundance or Humanitas uh, fellowship? Is there a difference in the kind of pilots that are chosen in one versus the other? I don't know if you... Yeah, I don't know that... I, I mean, I think what I would do... Humanitas feels to me... Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know this for certain, but but I, I am somewhat familiar. But Humanitas feels to me like they do a lot of playwrights, hmm. like they do deeper story, like right. like um, more character driven. Um, they seem I, to have yeah, I they think, seem to have a mandate on the type of material they prefer. Yes, they yeah. do. And so I think it with the programs, it's it's really focusing again on doing your research, mm-hmm. preparing and knowing what are they looking for. The network, all of the, the mission of every program 
is to get the writer to the next level so that things can happen, mm -hmm. so that the work starts happening if it's not already happening. Now, many programs are working. Now I know I did a, I recently did a workshop with the Warner Media Access and some of those writers uh, happen, have staffed. So, so there are programs that, that are now focusing on how do you create the longevity beyond that first job, mm -hmm. uh, which is great because that's another challenge uh, in the business. Um, and talking about like studio fellowships versus labs, um, uh, actually more speaking about, I guess you had spent time, obviously a lot of time, most of the time in, in fellowships with NBC writers on the verge, but you've also, you had mentioned worked with ABC, uh, and, and CBS. Yeah. How, I don't know, obviously programs change, like you had mentioned earlier before we came on, the, the regime is changing at, at NBC Writers on the Verge, so the program could change to what degree uh, remains yes. to be seen currently. Yes, um, exactly. And, and from your time at ABC and CBS, I'm sure, you know, any number of things could have changed. But did you notice when you were initially working with the three different programs that they had... Uh, that they were substantially different or did they teach a lot of the same things? No, the network programs. Yeah. Now Sundance lab, I would imagine, uh, has a different experience, but the same at the same time, sure. because whether it's a lab and you're like writers on the verge is probably similar to a lab and that it's a boot camp type experience where you're going to get scripts out of the process. Mm -hmm. And and a lab is the same experience. You're going to write, and you're going to get exposure to showrunners and executive producers and producers who are going to give you information on on how to be better. So, mm -hmm. of the three programs, I would say that I would say that each would like with Writers on the Verge. I would say the main focus or one of the bigger part of the focuses was the writing, recognizing mm -hmm. that the writing was what was going to open doors. The writing was what was going to get writers staffed. And so we then the business side of it became, was also was a parallel, but but we're, we were very focused on on getting them that script that, that could make a difference. And obviously they had strong scripts so they wouldn't have gotten into the program. So, so then uh, it, it was the branding of the portfolio. I would say CBS, the value from my experience, from my lens of seeing it, knowing people who've gotten into it, is, is all about the networking. That's mm -hmm. a huge part of it. That's a very big emphasis for them. Um, the ABC program, I only taught uh, a class, so it was such a quick glimpse, but but like the ABC program is very intricate to get in. Like they they probably are one of the hardest programs to get in because of all the layers that happen before you get in and because of the fact that it is a paid program. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Um, let's see here. A Marlin's Way says, how much importance do these programs place on recommendation letters? Uh, that has always been difficult for outsiders to obtain. Any suggestions? I thought some of them removed, like ABC, I think, removed the recommendation letters, yeah, didn't they? They did. They did. Um, there, and NBC didn't require mm. 
uh, doesn't require them either. And, um, but yet, if somebody were to send an email to NBC who are a high level showrunner recommending someone, does that have weight? Absolutely, that has weight because relationships are important. Sure. However, I'm thrilled that that letter of recommendation has been taken off most of the programs mm -hmm. because it, it again, it, it makes it so writers who don't have those relationships but may be incredibly strong writers mm -hmm. don't get that same weight. So I am happy that the programs are not doing that. So I would, what I would do, what you could do is attend as many panels that showrunners are on, that producers are on, that staff writers are on, that uh, attend as many of those panels through like the White Writers Guild Foundation. And then connect with those people after the panel on LinkedIn. Send them a note. I loved what you had to say on the panel. This is what I loved. This is what resonated with me. Everybody in this town loves to have their ego stroked. It's just the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So doesn't matter how high you get, you want to know. And I, I would say ego stroke is not even necessarily the best way to term it, but everyone wants to know they're having an impact. Right. Everyone wants to know that what they're breaking their back doing mm -hmm. means something to someone. So, so when, when you connect with people on a panel, and you reach out to them on LinkedIn. I always tell writers, ask a question. Like if there's a panel and there's an opportunity to ask a question, ask a question, then you're already starting to create a relationship. Then when you write them on LinkedIn, you say, hey, I'm the person that asked this question. Love what you had to say. Thank you so much for your time. And, and it's the first step in creating a relationship. And then, you know, it's all about, too, with these relationships of never feeling like, oh, will you read my script? Never jumping to that, but creating a relationship based on shared interest. And then if that evolves to where a writer's going to say, hey, I'd love to read your script, then the relationship is created. And, and I'm going to tell you, in doing my 65 podcasts with top level writers in the business, the thing that I heard over and over and over again was that writers get their own work, that once they start working, that that relationships are the key to everything. So so that writers then, so so I think for the newer writer who's not to that point yet, you have to start the idea of what is it to build relationships mm -hmm. in any capacity that you can do from being at home and being on Zoom. Yeah, and we've heard uh, something similar from lit reps, and we've had a lot of lit reps on, that it's it's never easy, but it's easier yeah. to break yeah. a, a feature writer. But yeah. a TV writer, once you've broken them because of the nature of the business, uh, and the relationships you build as a TV writer, it's it's more constant work. It's easier to maintain the career of a TV writer than it is a feature writer, but it's easier, quote unquote, easier to break a feature writer. So, yeah, I mean, you know, building those relationships, genuine relationships and friendships um, 
and that network is incredibly important. But yeah, no, that is makes... is everything. And, yeah. and I'll have managers who will say to me, like when I first started my business, mm -hmm. managers would say to me, I can't rep new writers because I don't have two years to put into them. Right. And I said, see, that's what my business does, though. Mm -hmm. I do have time to put into them. So so I think it, it it is recognizing that no one wants to babysit. Everybody wants somebody who's confident, who believes, who's got a portfolio that's ready to take on the world and who they can partner with in making things happen. Right. And, and speaking of that, interestingly enough, I've mentioned it on a podcast a little while back. I was in a, a, a Twitter debate with a, a writer, I believe, who and it was about having material that was undeniable. Uh, right. And having and, and the, the debate was, well, how do you know it was undeniable if a manager doesn't read your material and tell you that it is? Uh, my saying was they're, they're professionals and they're looking for people to step in at that level. Like they, they're not teachers. They're not there to groom you to be a writer. Right. Uh, they're there to help you take you to that next level, to introduce you to people, to help you develop your next script based on what is the marketplace is looking for based on their intel things like that not necessarily right. to tell you you know what you should be writing in terms of this is a good idea you need to work on this and and sort of acting as as a consultant that's not really their job and now they will teach you some things you're obviously going to learn on the job you're going to learn you know you're going to take some meetings you're going to take your beats and they're going to help you with that but you know, in terms of the writing ability and, and, and you should be at a certain level, a professional level, because they're sending you to professionals, you know. Exactly. Um, they are. So undeniable. Yeah. Well, let's talk about undeniable. Yeah, please. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a writing tip. Yeah. Right? No. So I'm, I'm working on a new product called, a digital product called Story Therapy. Okay. And in this product, I'm breaking down a number of top shows. And Wait, one first, show- Wait, first, can I ask you, what is, yeah. a, when you say it's a product- it, yeah, it's a teleseminar, so it's like online. People can watch it. Well, teleseminar is part of the live portion. Oh, okay. So, so the digital product is the story instruction mm -hmm. portion of the live teleseminar, which I, I do see. every year, which is everything I teach in Writers on the Verge. Okay, great. So that's a story-wise event. So mm -hmm. story therapy okay. is the story instruction part of that. Gotcha. So in story therapy, they get eight modules full of videos mm -hmm. that give them story instruction on, on how to write something that's undeniable and a tip that I learned. And again, we all learn. I mean, I've been in the business 25 plus years. Story is evolving. Hmm. And we are all, the world is evolving. We are all evolving. Things are changing. Things are shifting. People are experimenting. And, and so everything that I do as a consultant is grab tools from what is working at a very high level on current shows, not past shows, gotcha. but shows that are currently hitting. And one tool that I've noticed with the shows that I'm working on right now, um, and I'll give a tip, I usually hold off on saying what those shows are, but let's look at a show like Mayor of Easttown mm -hmm. on HBO Max. So the value, and this is something that every writer needs to recognize, is with Mayor of Easttown, the internal story is a massive part of why this show 
is resonating at extremely high level. You can look at the external plot that has to do with the murders mm -hmm. and the missing women in this town, but the central character and what it's really about is that she is processing the death of her son. And you can have something like that, but to understand how to seed that through seven episodes so that your audience sees how the external plot allows the opportunity for the central character to heal from the internal dilemma, that's how you connect with your audience emotionally. And that's how you write a script that's undeniable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, for the, what else do you teach in this uh, uh, teleseminar? So in the teleseminar, so how I did mm -hmm. it, I used to do the story instruction mm -hmm. at the same time that I did the teleseminar and oh, we'd okay. be on the phone for three hours, which is too long, <laughs> Right. you know? So that's why I separated the story instruction and make that available before mm -hmm. the live portion. And what the teleseminar is, is three writers, not unlike Writers on the Verge and all the fellowships, I choose four writers who are gonna um, join at level three. And what that means is they are gonna write every week. And, and the group, the community, last year we had 180 people from all over the world. Hmm. The community, we have a private Facebook page, is going to weigh in and go through the creative process with those four people. Mm -hmm. So that everybody gets a feel of what the writer fellowship experience is gotcha. without having to get in one. So right. that everyone gets the same tools. And then I have uh, working writers, co-executive, often co-executive producer and above, come in and listen to five pitches. Hmm. And then they give feedback on those five pitches. So every week, five people will get to pitch uh, and, and again, it's all just giving and in the community gets so close, mm -hmm. uh, over the six week period. Uh, so, so that is what we do. Just, that's what I do just to give everyone right. I, the same opportunity with the same knowledge mm -hmm. of what goes into the writer programs. Right. Uh, now for those who are, you know, have listened to the podcast, our podcast for a long time, they know we're not sort of a commercial thing. This is not a sponsored thing. We only tend to have on people that we respect because we know writers value. I mean, writers don't have, most writers don't have a ton of money to just blow. And there's so many shady services out there. Um, that's why we, you know, we've had on Lee Jessup, who I believe in, uh, Carol Kirshner. I love Lee. Yeah, Lee's I amazing. Love and yourself, yeah. people with a genuine track record with legit, industry experience that you're not charlatans again and we're not paid to say this um yeah. and, and i know a lot of writers don't have the ability to spend a lot of money on other things but if you do it can prove very beneficial everyone asks well how do i meet people how do i network how do i learn this and how do i learn that you know and you can i don't want to say move to the front of the line but you can learn a lot in a very short period of time by working with professionals such as yourself um, you can also do it yourself. You can also learn mm -hmm. by engaging with other people, by listening to, but you're going to, it's going to be, you're going to have to do it yourself. Um, yes. but for those writers who have the ability to do something, you know, that have the money again, we 
don't we're not saying you have to spend the money but you know we definitely only pretend to you know have on and promote those that we believe in such as yourself you know with the Thank track you. record um and, and people we genuinely like and and respect so uh if anyone is interested in learning more about um your uh your courses your seminars uh, i don't know what it, it's called again um so you you can go to my website jenbrisanti.com and go under events and my story what it's not up yet because it, it's going to be launching in november or january okay okay yeah. so you, you'll have to uh, uh tweet at us and we'll retweet it for you so they can yes uh find out about that but go to your site jengrisanti.com um yes so we'll do that uh and again i i it always like we've turned down sponsorships from screenplay competitions that we don't find uh, particularly legitimate. And we've yes. been, we've had a number of people approach us to be on the podcast to promote whatever screen screenplay contest or story analysis service that they have. And we've turned down a lot of those uh, just because again, we don't want to like, we don't charge writers for this. We don't, we've never charged a writer for anything that we, and I love that. that yeah. Is a, yeah. And I also like you, I have a ton of free videos on my website mm -hmm. that is giving free information. Yeah. And your, your podcast yeah. has been around for a long, long time. And yep. it was the original one, it was free. It's, you know, it's always been free. And it's one of those ones that I've listened to in the past and it's like, yes. this, you know, so you know, anyway, I am a believer that you have to give people mm -hmm. information yeah. and you have to give people tools to understand how to do it. So one of the big tools that Aaron Spelling taught me was break down story. Hmm. No, write a sentence for every scene in a show and understand what is going on in that scene. Right. And when you do that, it's like you're downloading. It's mm -hmm. like you're understanding what is going into the creative process. I always right. tell writers to watch a show all the way through, then go back to the first episode and you'll see how those writers created the season art. Mm. It'll become crystal clear right? because you went all the way through and then you go back and, and watch the first episode. Mm -hmm. So it's all about committing and applying yourself to the outcome. Absolutely. Yep. Um, let's see here. Um, Aurelie Gauthier, hopefully I pronounced your name right, Gauthier. Um, yes. Would you have any advice for writers outside the U.S.? Uh, you know, here's my feeling. The world has become a very small place because of everything going on with the pandemic. And there is a recognition where I feel like writers all over the world we're all, we've all been exposed to Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu mm -hmm. and HBO Max and, and writers uh, were watching, I watch shows from all over the world. So my feeling is, is that the market is becoming very small and that people in that the voice is going to be what continues to get the writer work. So if you're an international writer, who is on a hit show in your country, then I think it's gonna become that much easier to make it in the US. And I know so many writers, I've done, I've done events in Australia, Israel, 
London, um, France, and and I'm doing one in Italy. I know that everyone everyone wants to be in the U.S. and be a working writer. Or so many writers do, and that's because writers in the U.S. Uh, do well uh, financially. They don't have to have like in different countries. Writers have to have so many different jobs just to make things work mm -hmm. in the US if you're talented and you have a voice and you have scripts that show you have a voice then you will work and you will continue to work and so uh so for the international writer i would say you know focus on the market that you're in making a name for yourself there and then figuring out how you can translate that over or if you're writing U.S. type of shows, then you want to look for, there are many agents and managers who are focusing on the international market mm -hmm. and finding that international writer. Right. And you can absolutely be a screenwriter and sort of break in from anywhere in the world. It's hard as yes. a television writer. I don't know if you can do it as a TV writer, right. but as a feature writer, absolutely. Um, yes. So... Uh, Someone here has some comments, and I wondered if we could sort of offer them some advice. Uh, it says, lit reps don't even give writers a chance. I've put in the work for years, and they just aren't even accessible. The industry is making me as, as an unrepresented writer so jaded. I do everything the industry says a writer should do. I can't even get a rep to read anything. Um, it's difficult to offer, I think, advice without knowing more details, but the last part of it is I can't even get a rep to read anything. What sort of advice would you have for a writer out there who's trying to, who's looking for representation and trying to just get read at this point? Well, making relationships. I mean, first of all, if you're writing a script that is undeniable mm -hmm. and you are entering competitions and you are making the semifinals or above time after time after time, then you're building your creative bio. Then you're giving yourself ammunition to be able to get an agent or a manager. So it, we're no longer in this period of you write a great script and you think it's great. Mm -hmm. When Hollywood responds, when other people like your script, they like your script. Right. So you have to prove that other people like your script and that your script is at a very high level and getting results. Mm -hmm. That's how you get people to meet with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's good advice. Um, and now, for those writers out there who have submitted to some contests and things and have it placed, uh, but they still believe that their material is strong, what do you advise those writers to do? Well, first of all, too, and I, I'm glad you touched on that. Mm -hmm. I'm I, we all have different worldviews, so you can have a competition who has 25-year-old readers versus another competition that has seasoned readers who've been in the business for a number of years who are reading scripts, and you're going to get different results mm -hmm. because people are in a different life phase and have different experience going into that process. So I always tell writers, never look at it like make or break because I, when I was an executive staffing shows, I was never looking at who got into what fellowship and um, uh, who made it to the finals of five competitions in the row. Mm. At that point of the staffing, I'm only looking for, is the script speaking to me 
And is it of significance to the show that I'm staffing? So many writers get frustrated, but they're not writing the type of scripts that are going to get them to the outcome that they want to be in. They're, they're not writing the script that's going to staff them on their top three shows mm. that they want to staff on. So it's all strategic. You have to think about what are you doing? I think for writers who get frustrated, I often say, do you feel your script is at the level for an agent to read it and say, I'm going to represent you. Mm -hmm. And very often writers don't think that, but they're sending it to the agent anyway. Yeah, and, and some do, and it's clearly not, meaning because they yes. haven't gotten the yes. appropriate amount they of- they just don't have the experience right. to know. Right, yeah. and you can't see the forest for the trees. Yeah. You know, they may not be a bad yeah. writer, but that particular script, maybe they haven't had the distance, they haven't had other people you know, uh, the, of that high caliber writers, friends, whoever look at it, industry, yes. people working in the industry to say, hey, this doesn't work for me or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, and everybody has a different worldview. Sure. So you have sure. to, that's why universal themes right. are so important. Like we said with Mayor of Easttown, everyone knows what it is, or not everyone knows, but many people know what it is to lose someone. Sure. and what it is to heal from loss. So immediately you are connecting your audience, immediately, right. because people see themselves in the flawed character who doesn't know how to move through the healing process and who is struggling. Hmm. Um, let's see here. I am Lori Beth says, the community is amazing. We are still connected in building relationships outside of the class. So I guess Lori Beth was someone who was in oh, yay. one of your uh, courses. Lori Wise uh, events. Yay. Thank you, yeah. Lori Beth. Um, Eddie Babayan, hopefully I pronounced your name right, Eddie, um, has pitching to TV executives changed during the pandemic besides doing them using Zoom? Well, do I think it's changed? Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, strong story is strong story. And mm. whether you're communicating that in, in a room or on Zoom, I think that Zoom is probably, and I don't know this for certain, but I have talked to people who are doing it. Like, I think they're... There are pluses and minuses of Zoom. I think that there is, the plus is that I do think there's an intimacy. You are in someone's home. You are getting a glimpse of them. They are in their comfort zone. They didn't have to drive across town and find parking and arrive 10 minutes late. Right. So there's a value to that. And then I feel like some of the minuses or maybe you can't read the temperament hmm. as easily on zoom as you can in the room but you can certainly try but i i think i wouldn't look at do i approach pitching differently i would adjust and think all right how do i communicate let's say you, you have a zoom pitch and maybe in someone's office, you're going to be there a half hour or 45 minutes versus a Zoom pitch, you might be on 20 minutes. Right. So you need to figure out how in a 20 minute meeting, do I communicate everything that maybe in a 45 minute meeting, I would be able to communicate. And that's where you need to be focused and you need to be strategic to what you want to communicate. Right. Absolutely. Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, the same writer just says Google Channel, so I don't know your name, but we're going to continue on here. Um, in order for an unrepresented writer to get attention, they have to already be wealthy, it feels like. I'm a blue-collar worker, and I do spend money, but it's becoming outrageously expensive with no payoff. Um, so this is the same individual who was talking about uh, right. unrepresented writer being jaded, and, and, and they can't get a rep to read anything. What right. I will say is uh, fellowships don't charge anymore, do they? I remember they used to charge like a $50 fee to even... Not to, no, yeah. no, 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 not to my knowledge. Yeah, fellowships no, I, don't I, charge I don't, anything yeah. nowadays. Yeah. So it, you know, um, there are ways to... Uh, as Well, no, no one can buy you a spot at the table. Sure. That's the bottom line. No one can buy you a spot at the table. You're not going to pay someone mm -hmm. to get you a career. Right. You're going to pay someone to give you some of the skills and tools that can maybe take you over the top so that doors open. Right. And, and you can also, I'm going to tell you, like, starting my own business where I had to start from scratch, um, uh, when I started in 2008, I had to learn everything. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to $2,000 events to, to learn the school, the skills and the tools, because I didn't know what it was to run my own business. Right. So I had to invest in me in order to get the outcome that I wanted. Right. And that now I also learned that there are so many entrepreneurs out there that are giving free information. Mm -hmm. So I took advantage of that in that I started following people all over the place who were where I wanted to be and getting results that I wanted to get. And the free information was all there. So I just would apply myself. I mean, I have one person I followed who teaches like a $14,000 a week program. I read all of his books mm -hmm. and that was the foundation of my business. Mm -hmm. So you decide what you're going to put into it and what right. you're going to get out of it. Yeah, and I can say without a doubt, there's a, a lot of writers who got representation, got work, got staffed, are not rich at all. Um, right. You yes, know, a lot of them are toiling right. away as an assistant yeah. somewhere or yes. whatever. Uh, you're right. You know, the whole uh, movement on Twitter about paying your assistants better because they're living paycheck to paycheck. They're charging up yeah. their credit cards. They're getting help from family. Some of them aren't. And they're just have four roommates and they're in their early 30s or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not. You can make it not being wealthy. That being said, if you do have money and you spend it intelligently on the right things, yeah. it can help. Exactly. It can, it can make things, you know, aggregate a lot of that content like Everything you teach, you could probably learn in other places, in bits and pieces here and there over time with experience here and there. But you know, courses like yours, I think, aggregate them all and give them, you know, you know an abbreviated time frame yes. as well as building a community. And again, I'm not saying that they should or shouldn't, it, you know, depending on that's an individual choice, especially yes. if a writer is it doesn't have a lot of money. But yes. again, you don't need those courses, but they can be beneficial. Our issue is when there are so many shady people out there who don't have credentials, don't have good information. They're just repurposing random things that they view as important and, and calling it a course or something like that and charging a lot of money. Um, so, again, yes. uh, I don't think you have to, to do it. It can be discouraging to spend as much time. And if you've spent money, especially if it's been in places that haven't helped your career, uh, but... Uh, 
yeah, I mean, just keeping a positive attitude and, and if you love it, stick with it. But yeah, I mean, yep. be, spending money, I think, is is a real sticking point for me personally. Uh, I, I, I feel bad when writers spend money on useless services or pitch fests that don't lead anywhere because it's an assistant on a desk at some random production company. I feel I've never the heard same of. way. You yeah, know, and yeah. It, it's just... It's sad, but people, you know these writers are spending a lot of hard-earned money on it. And, and it's unfortunate yeah. that they're they're being preyed upon by these uh Because the outcome, it, it's not getting them what they need to get to the outcome. Right. And their money could be better yeah. spent elsewhere, you know, or, yeah. you know, learn it on, you know, learn it on your own. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I feel uh, bad for this, this writer that they feel that they've been struggling uh, and spending yeah. a lot of money and not getting anywhere. We all anywhere, feel but, for that. You know, it, we it, all it, feel for yeah, that. Yeah, it happens. Um, uh, Morgana says, as a Philadelphian, not all of us have that accent. I'm not sure what that's referring to. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. Um, I did yeah, have... Yeah, I'm not sure either. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of, of resources uh, in terms of you obviously, you know, have your own website and your own, uh, you know, uh, courses and, and things like that. But what are some for those writers out there who who may not have a lot of money? What are some of those other resources out there that you would recommend, um, like Script Notes, the podcast? You well, know, what are things YouTube, out there that you would recommend? Certainly, you know, you look at YouTube. Anything mm -hmm. is on YouTube. Like you can look up any. Anything about pitching, anything about writing. So YouTube is an excellent resource. Um, I'm going to do um, a subscription, which many places are doing. Sure. It's going to have all five of my digital products in one place oh, great. that writers can buy for three months, six months, one year mm -hmm. as a way to make things more uh, affordable sure. and accessible. And then places like ScreenCraft has great stuff. ISA has great stuff. Um, Final Draft. Um, I think it's getting involved with community hmm. that have resources. And I know that at one, because I know I did a video for ScreenCraft that they had something that it was everybody putting in their top information into one place. So that that would be worth looking at uh as well and then it's just studying yeah. i mean truthfully like when i i watch i know i watch tv it's a job i mean it watching shows and why they're working is a job mm -hmm. and it's all there like right. if you're paying for cable it's all there like right. every every skill and tool that i teach is there the difference is because i've been in the business 25 years i may be able to figure out an abbreviated way mm -hmm. to help help writers understand how to do it but you have to be uh the ceo of your career your life you have to create what is going to happen and again because there's such brilliant writing mm -hmm. being done on on streaming film and network you, you it's all there right like you you just need to learn it yeah no absolutely um and uh uh morgana said from mayor of east town talking about philadelphia and not oh, so oh. that makes sense okay <laughs> that's great yeah um <laughs> and talking about uh you know information being out there you know when when i was coming up there it, you had to buy a script 
Like you would go, there was like a couple places in downtown LA that sold physical scripts, or yeah, you would have Samuel to. French was, right, yeah, right. Or the USC Library had some, but like you couldn't just yeah. download every Emmy-nominated script off right. online and as a PDF just for free. Yeah. You, you know, there were so many yeah. uh, resources now that are free, like this podcast. Yeah, like that, you go on Deadline on yeah. the page is, I mean, they gave the script for Mayor of Easttown and Hacks and. It, it was like, oh, my God, like right now right. when these shows are hot, they're giving out the script, which is how people learn. Right. So that's Absolutely. the greatest thing that, that you can do. Then you study, 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 right. study. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, as a story consultant and you have had a lot of clients, again, 150 of them have had their first gigs from you. You've uh, been part of uh, almost 100 pilot sales and things like that. What are the top three things that you emphasize to writers who come to meet you for the first time? Well, I would say do the emotional work in your life is probably the number one thing. Because I, I think when the writer does the emotional work in their life, it shows up on the page. Mm-hmm. And when they don't do the emotional work in their life, that shows up on the page too. So I would say that's probably one of the number one things I look for. Do the work with structure. Recognize that, you know, I saw a woman who, Nell Scavell, who did a tweet, mm. and I, I have worked with Nell um, on NCIS, um, and at spelling and Nell did a tweet which i thought was fascinating she's you know a high level writer who worked a lot and she said you know essentially if i could go back to my old self and say listen to the notes i would if something something like that to if i i wish i had listened to more of the notes mm-hmm. so so that's another thing recognize that when people are giving you notes if you are defending the note before you are hearing the note, then you are not getting the value of the note. And and climbing the ladder and creating a career with longevity mm-hmm. depends on your ability to get along with others and to understand how to hear and take a note. Mm-hmm. So three things would be do the emotional work in your life, understand how to take notes, and no story structure is your friend. It elevates emotion, and emotion is what connects you to your audience. Right. And we often get asked what an unrepresented writer can do, meaning uh, our first suggestion is always to enter fellowships and things like that to try to, if you can't get representation otherwise – you know, enter fellowships and, and, and contests, you know, legitimate contests, you know, the Nickel and, and Austin right. festivals, things like yes. that. Um, yes. For, you know, being a former development exec, high level development exec, for those writers out there who may have a television pilot that they want to sell, but they can't get representation, they can't, uh, they're not in a fellowship, they're not staffed or anything like that. Do they have a shot at sending a script to someone at, CBS Paramount getting read and having you love their project and buying their pilot and making it without a relationship. No, I mean, unsolicited. No, you, you have to recognize that now 
In my career, when I was a studio executive, mm -hmm. so in 15 years, I saw two writers who were newer writers sell shows. Mm. That's in 15 years. Right. Two that were at Spelling, where they were newer writers who sold a show, who then showrunners got attached to. Mm -hmm. One of those shows, the writer that created it got let go the first year, mm. uh, but the value was they got money for the six years sure. of the show. So there was a value to that. But what newer writers have to recognize is a studio is giving you, or streaming place now, is giving you millions of dollars are on the line. Mm -hmm. They are not going to do that to someone who doesn't know how to manage that and get the outcome that they want. Mm -hmm. But if you write a script, I mean, when you look at like say Mad Men, that was around for eight years before it got made and it was served as a staffing sample and it was an executive if i remember correctly at amc that saw it as a staffing sample and saw the value of it as a show so you know just know that even if you're writing a pilot that's going to serve as a staffing sample because you're newer eventually if the market gets in a place where the concept you explore at a high level, things can come back around to where what served you staffing wise can now sell. Mm -hmm. But it's all about creating legitimacy through experience and skill set. So minus a, re a representative, no agent, no manager, how does a writer, a newer writer, an emerging writer, get a script to your desk as VP of current programming at CBS Paramount? Has, has, it would have to go through an agent manager or entertainment attorney. Hmm. Unless I met somebody at a party right. uh, or an event and I was open to reading it because I made the relationship. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, now, spelling is a little different. Spelling is a production company. Granted, it was a huge production company. Uh, is is the mandate the same? Like, do production company would a production company like Spelling? You had mentioned. Oh yeah, you can't through. accept unsolicited. What you have to recognize mm -hmm. is when a studio is developing. I mean, when I started Spelling, they were developing like 165 shows a season. So when they're, which was in the days where they had that kind of money to develop a large amount. But then it, as the years went on, it was less and less and less and less. And so you have to recognize if you have unsolicited scripts coming in, where anything in those scripts parallel with the hundred plus projects mm -hmm. being developed, there could be problems. So that's why they protect themselves right. and say that they don't accept unsolicited scripts. Right. Which is a great segue. On Twitter yeah. last week, there was that debate going around on whether or not a writer should uh, register their work with the Writers Guild and or the Copyright Office. Or whether, as by law, just completing your work is technically a copyright. Uh, and... A lot of established oh, writers. Oh, no, you have to register. You have to register. Okay, a lot of uh, uh, showrunners and a lot of uh, upper levels were saying it doesn't make sense. They've never, they haven't registered anything in a long, long time, and they don't recommend spending your money. But on the flip side, a lot of newer writers 
or saying that, well, that's easy for you to say you have a representative, you have people who will vouch for you if it comes to go to court, whereas a lot of newer writers don't have those sort of resources. So this is their way of protecting themselves because they can't point to their rep representative to say, look, you sent it to this company or whatever. Why wouldn't you want to spend $35 to protect yourself? That's my question. Fair enough. Um, and yeah. do you recommend uh, writers do one or the other or both? Um, well, they say, which I don't know is true because I've mm -hmm. never been involved with litigation right. with the script, but, but they say that copyright is more, mm. uh, is better protection, sure. but they both work at a very high level. Right. The thing with yeah. the Writers Guild, I think you have to renew it every five years, whereas copyright, yeah. I think, is permanent. It's just lifetime until, or, I know, think it is, yeah. 75 years. So if you're and it's a pain. Like, right. Copywriting is a pain to right. go through that process. I it don't know is. if it's gotten better, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think it has. But yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, it is a pain in the ass, whereas the Writers Guild, it's pretty simple. <clears throat> yes. Um, okay, and so... Uh, Lastly, I just in terms of um, the things that newer writers need to do to put them at a level where because we've we've everything we've covered sort of points to the fact that if you want to get read by showrunners, if you want to get read by executives, you need representation, which I'm assuming that your uh, consulting, your you know program, all of that has one of the things that you do is prepare them so that they are, their work is undeniable, that they're ready, that they know enough about the business to right. uh, build those relationships as a, a, you know, a, a writer with a representative, with an agent or a manager. Um, what, what sort of final advice would you have for those writers out there who are, again, like uh, our, our friend who doesn't have a name there uh, in terms of, getting representation um if you are writing mm -hmm. at a level that your script cannot be ignored mm -hmm. it will find its way mm -hmm. so my best advice is work on the writing and work on how you present yourself and know that if the writing everybody in town is looking for the writing mm. that is at a level that has to move forward so many, many people get frustrated with the idea, but their writing isn't where it needs to be to get that outcome. Right. So granted, we're, we're also in a time with the internet that things are shifting and that, again, you can form relationships without having an agent manager or an entertainment attorney, mm -hmm. and you can get people to read things if there is a relationship there. So you have to just be strategic, but again, don't waste anyone's time if the script isn't where it needs to be when you're asking someone to read it. Right, right. Um, that's great. So Excellent. if you haven't seen or heard, I should say, uh, the StoryWise podcast, it's on your website still. They're still valuable. Yes. They're still very helpful. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, check out jengrisanti.com for all the different resources and all your other good stuff on there. Uh, Thanks. And you're on Twitter at Jen Grisanti, right? Right, right. I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. 
I'm on Facebook. So you're on everything. So that's yes. good. Um, I'm on all of it. Uh, I find social media to be too time consuming. I'm only on a few things and I'm on them randomly. Um, yes. Yeah, I do all my marketing in the morning. No, yes. that's good. That's good. Yes. Um, so is there anything else we should look out for that uh, you've got coming up? Uh, well, um, I have the retreats. We're mm -hmm. going to South Africa, believe it or not. That's we exciting. Scream. Yeah, we're going to South Africa in September. Very, very excited about it. That's with screenwriters safari mm -hmm. and then next year with um i'm doing a retreat in italy with rocka uh in april and in july uh a retreat in june and july uh retreats with rocka as well so writing retreats are another way for writers to meet people and make relationships so like in south africa you know, I think the the group is going to bond mm. really, really well because right. we're all going through this crazy thing together with the world, and and connection is is needed. And right. and so, um, so I highly recommend. And we have uh, we have uh, Zoanne Clack from Grey's Anatomy. We have Wendy West uh, from The Blacklist and Dexter, and so many other shows. We have R. B. Botto from um, uh, stage 32 and we have Christopher and I'm blanking on the last name, but go to screenwriters, uh, safari and Lockhart, Christopher Lockhart. Oh, we have from he's been on the yeah, podcast. From WME. Yeah. He's going to, he's going as well. So we have a phenomenal group and, uh, and so again, retreats are another way to solidify relationships. So the outcome becomes more possible. Mm hmm no, and yeah. it seems like you have a, a nice range of different uh, uh, skill sets and experiences from writers to executives yes. to a, on the agenting side. Chris, I know, is amazing with log lines. He's really good with yes, log lines. Yes, he and, is. I've seen him in action yeah, with that. He's so, fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And RB with creating Stage 32 and everything he's doing with them and, and his own career that's going extremely well. And Wendy and, and Zoanne, who know what it is to be a woman and climb the ladder and mm. get to the very top, uh, is, is yeah, there's going to be tremendous input. I'm very excited. Um, oh, actually, we found our uh, uh, the writer. My name is Simba Dibinga. He forgot to sign in. Okay, Simba, I, I've, you've been on the podcast before. That's great. Um, he said, I've paid for coverage recently and was twice told my 93-page feature should be 110 to 120 pages or it feels like a pilot. What do you think? I don't think I'm so. I'm not of that school of thought. Yeah, I'm no, not me of either. that school of thought. I'm mm. of the school of thought. Anything over 90 pages is a feature. So I'm I'm not of the school of thought that it has to be 110. No. To 100. I've, I've actually heard that most features right now are 90 to 105 pages. Well, and as a former story analyst, uh, I would say that if your script comes in 90 to 100 pages, I appreciate that. You know? Yeah, I agree. You know, 100 to I agree. 120, it's like, okay, well, that's a normal script. Anything over 120, yeah. and you've already gotten a black mark in my book. This better be amazing. You better have reasons to have more than 100 pages, or I'm going to dock yeah. you for it. So, you're no, right. I think 93 pages is spot on. If you had 93 to 90 to 100 pages, you're, you know, exactly. even 90 to 110, I think, is okay. But yeah, once, you, once you're over 110, you're clocking those extra miles. You better justify yeah. it. 
So, no, yeah. I think you're fine with that 93 pages. Is, yeah, I don't know what they're telling you that for, but... Um, so thank you, Jen, for coming on. All right. I do appreciate you got it. it. Thank you so much for having me. Great, great job. I loved your questions. I love everything you're doing for writers. I will refer you to people who want call me and want to do my podcast. <laughs> uh, so I will be sending people your way. Well, we will be the spiritual successor to StoryWise. Okay. We'll do our, we'll do our job to that. hold the mantle. We'll do our okay. best anyway. Um, thank you so, so much. And thank, thank you to everyone who's listening. Yes, um, thank you we all. We are grateful. And you enjoy the rest. Have a good week, everyone. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye.